my biggest hope for the report is that it provides a more in-depth tool for Palestine solidarity activists who are queer, who are trans, and who are working on anti-pinkwashing efforts to have a really succinct and in-depth critique of pinkwashing as an institution and as a concept. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, and this is the Electronic Intifada podcast. As always, I'm with my co-host, Asa Winstanley. Asa, how are you? I'm very good, Nora. How are you today? Good. I'm really good. Um, We've got another really great episode today. Um, In a few minutes, we'll go to an interview we did recently with Stephanie Scora, who's a researcher and an activist based in Chicago. Um, She wrote an in-depth investigative report that we published um, on the Zionist pinkwashing group, A Whiter Bridge, uh, and its attempts to brand Israel, to help brand Israel as a progressive haven for LGBTQ people. and, and she goes into, uh, into depth on how a wider bridge uses money from extremist, right-wing, homophobic, Islamophobic, racist groups um, that partner with organizations that have been involved in targeted harassment mm. and smear campaigns against Palestine rights activists. Um, so we'll get more into that in a moment. But first, Asa, um, what stories have you been following lately? Well, I've been reading Max Blumenthal's new book, called the management of savagery yeah and it's it's brilliant i mean i'm almost done with it so with that caveat in place almost done with it i'm not quite finished it yet but my provisional (laughs) verdict is that it's one of my favorite books ever really i mean i think it's um excellent it's just it's kind of the story of our times really uh i think yeah. you're about the same age as me nora i won't mention that age i think we're, we're about <laughs> i'm the same. 40 yeah 40 and proud okay <laughs> <laughs> well you said it <laughs> i'm almost 40 um yeah uh it's like it, it, I, I i guess max is, a, is about our age as well because it, all, yeah. the events that he recounts in this you know it, it goes from it's kind of the story of my political life basically from yeah. from the anti-war movement to Palestine solidarity um and onwards like how how the the way that the so-called war on terror um increased islamophobia around the world and right. how the far right moved on from its number one enemy being Jews to its number one enemy being Muslims, while yeah. per, you know professing to love Israel, um, and even while you know still clandestinely sometimes hating Jews, it's just it's all there. Max just lays it all out basically, and and it's it's not a book about Israel exactly, but it does bring the Israeli role into the global Islamophobia industry. Um, right. brilliantly absolutely brilliantly uh, and the, the the center of the book is it's a, a large part of it is about syria and the role that the cia and other western intelligence agencies played in establishing the islamic the so-called islamic state al-qaeda 
um, in Syria. Um, and not only in Syria, but he, he starts the history from Afghanistan and the role the, yeah. the West played there in um, trying to entrap the Soviet Union uh, there. And um, it's... And flooding flooding these far-right uh, extremist groups with money and weapons um, and really setting the stage for, you know, what would eventually be 9-11 um, the the invasion of Iraq and and the the complete destabilization of that part of the world. Yeah, he, he, the narrative that he weaves is brilliant. Like he just goes from yeah. Afghanistan um, in um, nineteen seventy nine, you know, yeah. uh, to uh, Afghanistan after nine eleven, uh, Iraq, and then you know Libya and Syria, and he just ties it all together. The far right. The role of Israel. It's it's just a brilliant, brilliant read. It's it's incredibly yeah. uh, readable too. Like it, it's not one of these uh, sort of um, ivory tower academic tomes. It's it's a readable book by a, a brilliant journalist. So um, you know Max is our friend and everything. Um, but obviously, if the book is was not good, I would not be praising it like this. So um, <laughs> yeah, buy the book. What can I say? Plug, plug, plug. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's really, I, I think one of Max's strong suits um, is pointing out um, how, how these, you know, kind of the, the, the language that is used um, to further wars and so-called regime change and, um, you know, American empire yeah. around the world. And, and he points out the you know, just just this kind of like overt hypocrisy um, of the democratic wing of of the the war state, the empire yeah. state, um, and how uh, you know Hillary Clinton ran um, her campaign on you know furthering wars, on fostering more aggression with Iran, um, and on you know propping up Israel's apartheid state as as much as possible um and that was seen as like the you know the the responsible and and peaceful yeah. side of you know american politics in 2016 when she was running against donald trump um and so you know i've, I've just started the book it's it is brilliant um and i'm i'm looking forward to getting further into it um and us actually uh, later this month in april max is coming to berkeley to the bay area uh, and I'm excited to be the one to introduce him at the event um, that's hosted by KPFA, my old stomping grounds. Um, I believe it's April 25th here in Berkeley. Uh, you can go to kpfa.org for more information on that event. But yeah, um, it's uh, and obviously we'll bring Max back on to talk about his book and and the um, <laughs> the, the harassment that not only he has received and always receives um, by the people who he writes about, but also mm. the um, attempts to censor uh, book events, mm. um, uh, especially at, um, I believe, Politics and Prose was yeah. the bookstore in Washington, D.C. that um, has been under extreme pressure by some of the people that, that Max exposes in his book. Yeah, it's and, and this, this and what you were just talking about, how it's the supposedly progressive wing of... Uh, U.S. Empire right. speaks to like a lot of similarities with with and a lot of crossover between 
um, the regime change fanatics who were pushing for war in Syria. Um, That's right. And uh, the Zionist movement, because that, you know, Israel uses the exact same propaganda line that, you know, of of what they used to call in the UK, uh, Israel lobby, uh, the progressive case for Israel, supposedly, um, which, you know, speaks to the interview that you're about to hear um, with Stephanie um, about, uh, you know, pinkwashing uh, Israel and presenting it as this um, supposedly progressive uh, right. outfit. Um, and uh, we, we so, yeah, that you, we see that a lot. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of exposure yeah. of this strategy in Max's book. That's right. And, and we're grateful for researchers like Max and researchers like Stephanie Scora who... Um, are you know are are taking these fights on and and are willing to expose and uncover um, the the inner workings of these propaganda campaigns um, and these deliberate attempts to cover up Israel's crimes or the crimes of U.S. empire um, and and with that I think that's a perfect segue to go into Stephanie's interview. Yeah. Let's take a quick music break. We'll be right back with Stephanie. Joining us to talk about her research into a wider bridge and the larger issue of uh, pinkwashing and the funding of the Islamophobia industry is Stephanie Scora. Stephanie is a researcher, an organizer, and a writer. Um, Her report on the Electronic Intifada is linked um, inside her op-ed called A Wider Bridge, the Gay Rights Group Funded by Homophobes. It was published on t- uh, February 25th on the Electronic Intifada. Stephanie, it's so good to have you back on the Electronic Intifada podcast. So great to be back with you. So let's talk about what you uncovered um, in your research here. I'm just going to read a little bit from your piece. Um, we're talking about a wider bridge, which is, um, as you say, if you've encountered LGBTQ Jewish life in the United States, odds are you've heard of a wider bridge. The LGBTQ-specific Israel advocacy organization whose mission in its own words is, quote, equality in Israel and equality for Israel, has tried hard to por- portray itself as a progressive and as progressive and to create a pro-Israel bent in LGBTQ life in the United States. You go on to say a wider bridge receives funding directly from organizations with a long and troubling pattern of giving to groups that could be classified as right-wing, anti-gay, anti-Muslim, pro-settlement, campus-specific organizations dedicated to those causes, or agents and politicians in the Republican Party. All eight of their publicly available institutional funders have repeatedly given to organizations that fit these categories. Stephanie, lay out uh, what a wider bridge is, why it's such a pernicious organization, and why you've dedicated so much time and, and energy into researching them. Yeah, so I think the best, there's two ways to describe a wider bridge. There's the way that they sort of see themselves, which is important uh, to understand. And then there's also the way that they actually are. Um, so the way that a wider bridge sees themselves, they see themselves as a progressive Zionist organization. Um, which, I mean, we all know that there's no such thing as progressive Zionism. Um, But they see themselves as a progressive Zionist organization 
that is dedicated to fostering support for Israel in LGBTQ communities and also promoting the rights of LGBTQ Israelis within Israel itself. Um, and they claim to do that by giving money to LGBT Israeli orgs and then bringing members of those orgs to the United States on speaking tours to talk about how it is to be LGBT in Israel. Um, what they actually are is essentially a propaganda and backlash creation arm of the Islamophobia industry that's targeted at LGBTQ people. What they do is they sponsor events um, with, they, they do actually do quite a bit of sponsoring events in the United States with LGBT Israeli organizations that they do give money to. Um, that part is true. But what these events are designed to do is grow support for Israeli issues and the Israeli state itself in LGBTQ communities by linking the struggle that LGBT Israelis have with the struggle that LGBTQ people face in the United States. Um, there's also this effort to exploit most people in the United States' lack of knowledge of how Israeli nonprofits work. Uh, a good number of the organizations that the Wider Bridge gives to in Israel are actually funded in part or in whole by the Israeli government. Um, and so in a sense, they're funneling money between private U.S. donors and the Israeli government through LGBTQ middlemen. Um, and another thing that they do is they show up to pro-Palestinian uh, LGBTQ events and they disrupt them uh, and cause a ruckus and then cry anti-Semitism and create horrible, massive international backlash um, and a lot of trouble for activists on the ground. And they've done that a number of times. They've done that in Seattle in their early years, um, which um, they were actually a co-sponsor of the event that Dean Spade uh, covered extensively in their film, uh, Pinkwashing Exposed, Seattle Strikes Back, or Seattle Fights Back. Um, they were behind the disruption at Chicago Dyke March in 2017, where actually their Midwest director uh, came to the Dyke March, which was explicitly pro-Palestinian, uh, texted members of the collective the night before and said, hey, I'm going to bring this Rainbow Magan David flag. Will this cause any problems? And they were told like, hey, you know, as long as you don't bother anybody, there shouldn't be any issues. They proceeded to bother people um, and were asked to leave and then claimed that they were kicked out for being Jewish. Uh, and then in between those two things, they were behind the backlash out of the uh, the reception that a wider bridge actually hosted at the Creating Change Conference in Chicago, um, which was the largest protest at Creating Change uh, ever and sparked an international controversy about the space of Zionists and Jewish people, which Zionists connect the two. Um, in LGBTQ spaces in the United States. They've been sort of at the at the forefront of this whole intersectionality has failed Jews kind of movement. And their tactics and their legacy um, are where organizations like Zioness have learned from, and they take from the legacy and tactics of organizations like the Horowitz Freedom Center and other sort of backlash um, pro-Israel astroturf orgs. So what is their attitude like towards intersectionality towards the concept of, of intersectionality do they do they pay any lip service towards intersectionality or are they sort of purely oppositional they seem to go back and forth um they seem to you know be quite happy to trot out black and brown and muslim uh tokens when it suits them um and say like look this is an intersectional perspective on our side of zionism and lgbtq yeah. rights um, but then, you know, when it's Zionists and Zionist Jews in particular being criticized, they're some of the first to trot out the intersectionality has failed Jews 
trope. Um, mm. And really, they sort of display the same understand uh, misunderstanding of intersectionality that's grown quite common among liberal Zionists and more right-wing Zionists. So, it, I mean, everything that um, you're saying sounds reminds me very much of the uh, Rayut Institute's uh, attitude, the uh, Israeli, you know, government-linked Israeli think tank, um, which uh, a report a couple of years ago stated that um, it's it, it, a major challenge for Israel was what they called the rise of intersectionality. And the things that you're describing sound sound very much like um, a way to drive a wedge into progressive and left-wing movements, which is a, was another theme of that report. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think um, that's one of the spaces in which a wider bridge has really spent a lot of time focusing and has been unfortunately particularly effective is they have, by showing up in specifically LGBTQ spaces as LGBTQ people, what they've done is they've attempted to cleave radical and left-wing spaces over Jewish identity. When, in fact, Jewish identity, like there's anti-Semitism mm. in every space. There's anti-Semitism on the left. We know that. There's anti-Semitism on the right. We certainly know that. There's no space that doesn't really have a comprehensive problem with anti-Semitism. There's anti-Semitism in Jewish spaces. Um, but what a wider bridge is so effective at doing is they show up to LGBTQ events that are pro-Palestine and they attempt to cleave the supporters of that event uh, along the lines of, of perceived or actual support for Jewish identity as a non-complex category um, and position themselves as being a representative of all Jews, as, as many progressive Zionist organizations uh, so often do. And they take this stance that they, because they as Jews claimed to feel discomfort or personal attack in these spaces, that all Jews um, feel the same thing. And it's, it's particularly noteworthy that in their two latest um, big backlash kerfuffle incidents, uh, the Creating Change protest in 2015 and the Chicago Dyke March in 2017, uh, is that there were actually a fair number of Jews opposing a wider bridge uh, very thoroughly the entire time. The Creating Change protest, there were dozens of Jews that participated, um, dozens of Jews involved in the organizing. Um, at every level of that protest, there were Jewish people, anti-Zionist Jewish people, queer and trans Jewish people, um, Jewish people from Chicago, were all over that. And then in the backlash around Dyke March, uh, what a wider bridge conveniently fails to mention is that um, I actually, as a Jewish person, spent two hours uh, at that event talking to Lori Grauer, who was formerly the Midwest manager of a wider bridge, and telling her, like, hey, look, like, you're bothering people, like, you know, the things that you're saying are upsetting. If you will just stop, you can come and enjoy the rest of the event. Otherwise, we're going to have to ask you to leave. And of course, they leave that out of their version of events because two Jews disagreeing for two hours on Israel is not very newsworthy. Um, <laughs> But there, and aside, aside from myself, there were dozens of other Jews at Dyke March that year being visibly openly Jewish. There were Jews wearing mm -hmm. kippot. There were Jews with Magen David tattoos. There, there were Jews with um, visibly Jewish T-shirts and, and slogans on their sign. There were workmen's circle sashes. Um, and none of those Jews had a problem with, uh, with anything at Dyke March connected to their Judaism. It just so happened to be the people that showed up to disrupt the event um, to create a, a, a forum for Zionist politics that wound up magically having a problem and were able to claim anti-Semitism. Um, and the fact that so many other Jews are in these spaces never seem to have a problem with the kind of overt anti-Semitism that a wider bridge claims um, is rampant is 
quite telling. And I think um, one of the things that's really exposed them even further, besides my report, is their reaction to the creating change protests this year, um, which I was also involved in. We um, did a, a disruption of the plenary at creating change, uh, the opening plenary this year. We storm uh, myself and a group of other activists stormed the stage, um, called out the conference for censoring uh, sessions that talked about Palestine. Um, talked about the decrease in Jewish and Muslim sessions since they instituted this uh, internal policy against Palestine and held Palestinian flags on the stage. Um, and what a wider bridge did was they put out this very hastily cut video claiming anti-Semitism returns to creating change. Like anti-Semitism to electric boogaloo was somehow this like horrible event that they were experiencing. Uh, and they neglected to mention that the, and I was the first speaker at this protest and they neglected to mention that the first words out of my mouth were anti-Semitism is a problem at this conference. Uh, yeah. So they attempted to create uh, a, a backlash around anti-Semitism at an event that featured both Jews and Palestinians. Mm -hmm. And I think right. that's really just so emblematic of their politics and their and their goals is that they see themselves as the arbiter of anti-Semitism in LGBTQ Jewish spaces. Um, and they're perfectly happy to label Jewish people as anti-Semitic and disregard our Judaism entirely when it suits their political narrative. And if you look at their funders, it's quite clear why. Well, let's look at their funders. Um, yes. Tell us who you focused on, what you found in your research, and why it's so significant to track the money here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, so I focused on all eight of the Wider Bridges institutional funders, um, the Jewish United Fund of Metropolitan Chicago, the Jewish Community uh, Foundation uh, of the Bay and all the other uh, all the counties in the Bay Area, uh, the Coret Foundation, which is also based out of San Francisco, um, the Jewish Federation of Broward County, the Morningstar Foundation, which is out of Bethesda, Maryland, uh, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, which is run by uh, pro-Israel billionaire Paul Singer and vulture capitalist Paul Singer, um, and then the Schustermans. Um, and did I mention the Jewish United Fund in Metropolitan? Yeah, I did. That was the first people yeah. I mentioned. And I think that's all eight. Um, they're all in the report. But uh, so I, I spent a particular amount of time focusing on Paul Singer. I focused on the Corat Foundation, uh, the Schustermans and the JCF in San Francisco. Now, these other funders were also heinous, um, but the Jewish Federation of Broward County is very small, um, although they did donate to the Central Fund and the JNF quite extensively, um, which I thought was a little egregious given the Central Fund's exposed connections with Canary Mission. Um, I focused on some of the big dogs. Uh, and as we know about the Schustermans, they're behind um, the, Israeli the Israel on Campus Coalition. They give extensively to pro-Israel campus groups, um, which have been documented as being linked to far-right and alt-right campus organizations extensively across the country, mm. um, and racist and misogynist and homophobic and transphobic backlash efforts uh, on campuses across the country. Uh, I focused on the JCF, which I was uh, on this podcast before talking about my research about the JCF uh, and their connections yeah. to... Uh, right-wing organizations, including Turning Point USA and the Tea Party. Um, but the new ones that I really wanted to focus on were the Coret Foundation, which portrays itself as like a liberal, progressive, philanthropy, private foundation out of San Francisco. In reality, they have a number of very strange libertarian and Republican party ties. Uh, they give to the Ayn Rand Institute, for example. Um, they give to both <laughs> Bush foundations, uh, they give to a number of right-wing organizations and anti-Muslim organizations, uh, and then I think the real, the real like dead ringer on this on this fundraising list is Paul Singer. Um, right. And for those who don't know, Paul Singer is a vulture capitalist billionaire based out of New York. 
Uh, I believe he's Jewish. Uh, I believe he also has a gay child. And so he's given to some efforts within the Republican Party to normalize support for gay marriage. Um, but that's sort of as far as his LGBTQ activism goes. But he is also a major donor for Wider Bridge. Um, now, this is a man who's given to Donald Trump's inaugural committee. He's bankrolled Republican presidential nominations and campaigns since George Bush in 2004. He's wow. linked with the Central Fund. He's linked with anti-abortion PACs in New York. Um, he's linked to basically, if you can think of a bad cause, he's linked to it. He's linked to the Heritage <laughs> Foundation. Like, this, this is a man who's given to pro-gay yeah. marriage things and the Heritage Foundation extensively. And right, Heritage and Jinsa and um, Rick Santorum of all yes. people. Yeah, 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 yeah. A, a champion of LGBTQ he, rights. He sounds like an equal opportunities racist. He, he does indeed. <laughs> he's, he's actually quite terrible. Um, and he is a funder of a wider bridge. And I think that it's interesting that um, this man whose main giving causes have been the Republican Party, pro-Israel causes, um, and a little bit of gay marriage, sought out a wider bridge and said, this is a group that calls itself progressive that I'm going to give money to. Yeah. Um, and clearly mm. there was something in their politics that he saw that he agreed with. Um, a wider bridge is not in the business of promoting gay marriage or acceptance of queer people in the Republican Party. Uh, they are in the business of pro-Israel politics, and they are in the business of right-wing backlash efforts. And mm -hmm. I think um, the the further you dig into a wider bridge's funders, if you really follow their money, you can situate them exactly in the larger picture of the Islamophobia industry in the United States. They're they're linked to many of the major players. They're linked to many of the major funders. They have one degree of separation from individuals um, like Steve Emerson, Daniel Pipes, Pamela Geller, um, Brooke Goldstein at the Lawfare Project. Uh, David Yerushalami, they have two degrees of separation from outright fascists like Geert Wilders. Um, they're, they're, they have very alarmingly small degrees of separation from some very, very, very bad people. And for an organization that calls itself progressive, you'd wonder how they got into this place. And these connections aren't all through Paul Singer either. These connections are coming from all over their funding network. Um, Paul Singer is just the one that is the most ostensibly and obviously bad. Stephanie, how, um, you know, within the LGBTQ actual progressive community, um, how has a wider bridge been been viewed? Um, how have they been challenged? And and how does your report kind of uh, what kind of reaction has your report uh, received so far? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's difficult to figure out how a wider bridge has been received in the larger LGBTQ community because the larger LGBTQ community doesn't like to talk that much about religion. Um, and it is like the larger community mostly comes out of the tradition of Christian atheism um, and Christian secularism. Uh, and for those reasons, you know, they see Jews and Judaism as a religion more than an ethnicity and a culture. Um, you know, the, the standard problems that people that we face all the time about people not really understanding Jews. Um, and I think, you know, a wider bridge has been able to use that to their advantage. They come in and say, we represent LGBTQ Jews, and people are afraid to say anything about that because they'll get accused of anti-Semitism. Um, I think, you know, their their reception has been certainly not negative, although I hope that that will change. Um, they've been received just fine, um, especially for institutional players in the LGBTQ world. They seem to have pretty free access there due to their funding connections. Although I thought that it was particularly interesting that for an organization um, that claims that it's an LGBT rights organization and claims that it's one of its main missions is advancing the rights of LGBTQ people. They do not get a single dollar of institutional LGBTQ funding, not one. There are several organizations that exist in the United States that 
whose only purpose is to throw as much money as they can at everything LGBTQ and see what sticks. Um, for a wider bridge to have never been funded by any of these organizations, to have never received institutional support from LGBTQ funders is also quite telling. It means that these LGBTQ funders who are progressive themselves, largely liberal or progressive, have looked at a wider bridge and seen something fishy or that a wider bridge has been self-conscious enough to not expose themselves to that kind of criticism from the LGBT establishment. And I think, um, you know, because of that and because of their neutral to positive rep uh, reception among LGBTQ orgs, it's been very difficult to push back against them, um, especially because LGBTQ Judaism has a liberal Zionist problem. There are a lot of people who hold power in institutional LGBTQ spaces who happen to be Jewish, because if you look at demographics, you know, Jewish people as a population group are overrepresented in nonprofits because of a number of reasons. Um, and a lot of LGBTQ people go and work at LGBT nonprofits because it's hard to get a job and be LGBTQ. Uh, and LGBTQ nonprofits often provide the easiest path to a career um, for a marginalized LGBT, for a, a, an additionally marginalized LGBTQ person. Um, and because of that, and because of the liberal Zionist problem that exists in LGBTQ Judaism, a wider bridge has been able to sort of walk right in the door um, and, you know, promote their various ideologies, promote their agenda. And I think um, really uncritically, because their core base are people who don't know anything about Jews and want to be supportive and people who self-identify as Democrats um, and liberals and people who like voted for Barack Obama twice and would have voted for him a third time, but voted for Hillary Clinton instead. Um, <laughs> or maybe people who voted for Hillary Clinton twice and were fine with Obama and voted for him once or twice. Mm. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think I really hope that my report will shine some light on what a wider bridge is doing and what they're talking about um, and the motives behind their politics and their efforts, because this is a group with, you know, if if you are an LGBTQ Jewish person and for some reason you don't really care about the Israel on Campus Coalition and their extensive history of harassing Muslims on campus, um, if you don't care about pulsing, well, if you, if you don't care about um, Islamophobia because you've been raised in a culture of Islamophobia, if you don't particularly care about racism, um, odds are you care about the Republican Party. And A Wider Bridge is an organization that has at least three or four funding links directly to the Republican Party. This is a Republican-linked group, extensively Republican-linked. And, you know, when three or four of their, of their public funders are extensively linked with the Republican Party, you have to start asking some questions about whether Republican politics are at play in this organization. And I know that all of these self-identified Democrats who make up a, a substantial part of a wider bridge's power base would not want to be associated with a Republican org or even an org that touches Republican politics in any way, especially an organization that has one degree of separation from Donald Trump's inaugural committee. Um, and I think, you know, on the surface level, I hope that it opens the eyes of some liberals um, and really shines a light on what a wider bridge is doing, what they're claiming to do, and the dissonance between those two things. On a deeper level, I think it really... Um, my biggest hope for the report is that it provides a more in-depth tool for Palestine solidarity activists who are queer, who are trans, um, and who are working on anti-pinkwashing efforts to have a really succinct and in-depth critique of pinkwashing as an institution and as a concept. Um, because I spend a fair amount of time in the report talking about what pinkwashing is, fleshing out the traditionally provided definitions of pinkwashing, 
um, and talking about how it's not just a, enough to accuse an organization of pinkwashing. You have to be able to link back to their their funders and their motivations for pinkwashing and say, look, this organization is funded exclusively by by pro-Israel entities, it's funded extensively by right-wing entities, extensively by Republican Party entities. Because of that, they have a financial incentive to promote pro-Israel politics in spaces that are trending pro-Palestine. Because of that, their most effective tool is pinkwashing, using their identities as LGBTQ people to allow their pro-Israel politics in the door. Um, And a wider bridge attempts to push back at this on their website. The longest page on their website is an an essay by their founder, Arthur Slepian, um, about the myths of pinkwashing and how pinkwashing isn't a real thing. Um, And it's it's actually quite sad if you read the whole thing. but it shows that they're they're terrified of being mm. accurately and thoroughly accused of pinkwashing in a way where they cannot disprove it. Um, and I hope that my report has done that. I hope that I've sort of taken all the various pinkwashing accusations that people have made against a wider bridge and laid them out and said, look, this is a this is a map of their organization's power base. This is their motivation to pinkwash. This is why I believe they're pinkwashing. Even if you don't like the term pinkwashing, there are right-wing interests at play here. And right-wing interests um, invest in pinkwashing because it is a right-wing strategy. Um, I think the reception that my report has gotten has been, um, it's been trickling out there. I think because anti-pinkwashing organizing is a small community, there's not that many of us. Uh, Most of the anti-pinkwashing efforts that you see um, within the US uh, and North America and internationally are fronted by the same like 100 people. Um, I think the report has made a splash in that community because it's really drawn these connections that a lot of us had a suspicion about for a while. But I'm anticipating as we grow closer to Pride Month in the U.S. um, that the report will gain a little bit more traction because that is when pinkwashing is at its forefront. In the months of May and June and July, pinkwashing is everywhere. Every single city in the United States that has a pro-Israel organization in it and also an LGBTQ organization in it there will be an attempt to have a pinkwashing event. And I think the reason that it's so useful to focus on a wider bridge is they are really the central hub for pinkwashing in the US. Um, Their rhetoric, their resources, their organizational name, or their politics are deployed in various pinkwashing efforts, even if it's not them directly behind it or connected to it. And I think if you can dismantle their pinkwashing and use their examples of um, the things that they've done to pinkwash in the past as a weapon against other uh, pinkwashing events, you're going to be set up pretty nicely. Again, that report is called Pride with Prejudice, Exposing a Wider Bridges Right-Wing Funding, and it's linked to Stephanie's piece on the Electronic Intifada called A Wider Bridge, the, quote, gay rights group funded by homophobes. We'll, of course, link to the report and your piece uh, on this podcast blog so post. Um, Stephanie... Uh, finally, uh, in in your report, you have three uh, conclusions and uh, you have three recommendations yes. um, for activists and for people who are maybe a member of the LGBTQ community or aligned with the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. How what do you recommend um, they watch out for and 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 um, and use this report uh, for? Yeah. So I, my three recommendations are essentially 
Um, an expanded notion of BDS focused on a wider bridge. I, I recommend that people boycott, divest from, and socially and culturally sanction a wider bridge and the large institutions that fund them. I think it's not just uh, important to boycott a wider bridge and, and you know live BDS as a political movement focused on a wider bridge, but also we have to show their funders that we're wise to their games. Um, we know that a lot of these funders have a history of giving to right-wing groups. We knew that before. We know that now, certainly through this report. A wider bridge is not their only right-wing stake. It's not the only you know, right-wing pie that they have their fingers in. Um, and we have to tell these larger communal organizations, many of which are staples and incredibly power, powerful organizations within the institutional Jewish life in the United States. Like the Schustermans are everywhere. The JCF in San Francisco is a major Jewish federation. The JUF in Chicago, a major Jewish federation. Um, Broward County, a very small Jewish federation, but that just shows the range. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I think we have to show the funders of right-wing organizations like a wider bridge that we know they're funding right-wing organizations with Jewish community dollars, and we won't stand for that. These organizations, especially the Jewish federations, rely on communal funding to exist. And if Jews start to pull their money because right-wing interests are getting those dollars, the federations won't be able to survive. Um, my other recommendation is that we have to work to establish alternative organizations and funding channels for LGBTQ Jewish life in the United States that are not connected to right-wing interests, and of course abroad as well, um, that are not connected to right-wing interests, anti-Muslim funders, the Israeli state, or Zionism. Um, LGBTQ Jews face a lot of challenges. It's very, very hard to be LGBTQ and Jewish. It's particularly hard to be trans and Jewish. It's extremely hard to be anti-Zionist and trans and Jewish. And our communities deserve support and organizations that are willing to yeah. represent our political interests that have funding and infrastructure behind them. Um, I'm certainly not suggesting that anybody pull all of their money from a wider bridge and then just never give to LGBTQ Jewish life again. I'm saying there must be better options. Our yeah. community deserves better than an organization that will exploit our pain, both as Jews and as queer and trans people, to shill for an apartheid state and to oppress Palestinians and to target black people and Muslims broadly for racism, bias, and backlash. Um, and then of course, my third recommendation is support the efforts of LGBTQ Muslims and all LGBTQ Palestinians and organizations that represent and serve them without using them to pinkwash or normalize the Israeli state. One of the things that a wider bridge and other pinkwashing organizations have done is they've trotted out particularly needy or desperate uh, queer or trans Muslims and Palestinians as tokens sort of say like, look, here's a Muslim. They agree with me. Clearly, mm -hmm. right? And it's really tokenism at its finest. And I think, you know, our communities and LGBTQ Palestinian and Muslim communities deserve better than, you know, racist tokenism. They deserve better than the scant amount of funding that they get already. And I think, you know, if LGBTQ communal Jewish life could produce enough funding to create a right-wing backlash machine like a wider bridge, then certainly we can create a good organization for ourselves and throw some money to Muslims and Palestinians because they need it for sure. Um, there is a number of uh, wonderful LGBTQ Palestinian organizations doing work in Palestine. Um, Aswat and Al-Khaus uh, come to the top of my head. QPEN, which is based in the United States, the Queer Palestinian Empowerment Network. Um, Pink Watching uh, Israel um, and a number of other organizations that deserve money and support and attention. Um, and I think really... My final recommendation is just, you know, be careful. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crap out there. And there, especially 
unfortunately, where Jewish communal life is, is concerned. Um, there are a lot of sinister political efforts to take the attention of Jews and particularly multiply marginalized Jews and direct our efforts in a way and our, and our organizing and our activism in a way that it will serve the interests of the Israeli state. And we can't allow our oppression to be mobilized in that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why organizations like a wider bridge need to be dismantled, because we cannot be free as long as they're using our struggle for freedom to oppress and continually deny freedom to others. Um, before Nora uh, wraps up the interview with you, Stephanie, this has been really great. So we thank you um, for taking the time to have this conversation with us. Uh, um, I wanted to read a quote uh, to you by uh, an Israel lobbyist in the UK, actually, and see what you think of it and see if it sort of fits with what you've seen from um, a wider bridge and other pinkwashing organisations. So this person said, we built... Well, first of all, he talked about behind-the-scenes lobbying. Um, and then he said, we built a robust political discourse rooted in the politics of the left and deployed it in our own backyard. And he said that if people walk away, Israel's case will be lost by default. Now, before I tell you who said that, do you think that sort of fits in the kind of, uh, the way a wider bridge and similar organizations are working? I think so. Yeah, I do think that there is definitely, um, whether it's a wider bridge or other, you know, washing efforts, um, there's a number of, you know, dash washing efforts at play in pro-Israel politics, um, whose primary purpose is essentially to infiltrate leftist spaces um, and use, you know, whether it's pro-queer and pro-trans politics or veganism or environmental friendliness or, you know, name your cause. Yeah. Um, there's a number of efforts that are essentially infiltration efforts. Um, yeah. You know, not in the... Uh, creepy anti-Semitic way that, you know, I'm sure we'll all get accused of because this is the electronic intifada and, you know, they're going to accuse us of anti-Semitism anyway. Um, but I think, you know, in, in a very, like, political, you know, nation-state sense. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to push their narrative as far as they can, aren't they? I mean, yeah, any state would do that. And, Israel, and the Israeli government knows that it can't win without support from the left, um, especially because the left is growing in the response to the right-wing growth across the world. Um, and the left is getting stronger and the left is organizing better and left-wing ideas are permeating the general public more. And they know that if pro-Palestine um, politics and Palestine solidarity become a mainstream left view, that mm. Zionism will have lost and the Israeli state will have definitively lost its political struggle. Um, and so these infiltration efforts, um, a wider bridge and others alike, I think are key to Zionist politics ongoing efforts to normalize and build support for Israel among the left, because if they can do that, they can delay um, their permanent affiliation with right wing politics, no matter how far right and hilariously, obviously racist um, that Bibi and, and the goons in the Knesset get. Mm. So that quote was uh, from an article in 20, September 2015 by somebody called Jeremy Newmark, who is the former chairperson of the Jewish Labour Movement, which is a, a, a Zionist organization within the Labour Party, which was essentially revived in September 2015 to push the Zionist discourse within the Labour Party. And he's and he's saying like we built a robust political discourse rooted in the politics of the left. 
and I I really find it interesting when I reread this that he said. I mean, he's they they claim to be you know a a, a left wing group, but he's saying we deployed it in their backyard. So it's interesting. I mean, it's not there's not some grand conspiracy here, but they they there's there's a similar sort of strategy and idea to as you said, kind of get into left wing spaces and cleave them apart. Yeah. Right. And and I think you know as you said, it's not there's not a conspiracy at all. In fact, you know. The longer right-wing political efforts go, the stupider they become. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that I know a single extended right-wing political effort that hasn't said something just blatantly stupid and outing itself like that. Mm. Um, clearly, based on that quote, these are not people of the left. Um, they refer to the left as their, not our. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the longer you try to put up a facade, the more cracks come in it. Um, and these organizations are exposing themselves one by one. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons that I wrote this report on a wider bridge is that it was very difficult to challenge them because of the multiple spaces that they took up. Um, it was very difficult for um, anti-Zionist Jews who were not queer or trans to challenge a wider bridge based on their Zionism because they could pull homophobia and transphobia as a response. Um, it was difficult for many queer and trans anti-Zionist Jews to pull, um, to, to criticize a wider bridge openly because of the dangers faced by queer and trans anti-Zionist Jews. And it was difficult for non-Jewish queer and trans people to criticize a wider bridge, especially if they were people of color, especially if they belong to minority religions, uh, especially if they aren't US citizens, um, because of the accusations of anti-Semitism and the devastating effects that those can have when directed at uh, other otherwise oppressed populations. And so I think as somebody who is queer and trans and anti-Zionist and Jewish and has a very public record of going hard for anti-pinkwashing organizing, I think, you know, I it was incumbent upon me to sort of do this labor and say, look, like, I am not going to face any additional grief than I already do for saying this. It needs to be said. Um, here is what it is. And what are they going to say to me? Are they going to call me an anti-Semite? I'm Jewish. Are they going to call me transphobic? Good luck. Um, are they going to call me homophobic? Also, good luck. Um, you know, it's it's it it's a the more niche you get into these incredibly influential but difficult to be in leftist spaces that are identity policed spaces, the more specialized of a critique you need. Um, mm. And I think it was going to take a queer and trans anti-Zionist Jewish person to out a wider bridge publicly. Um, and I'm just glad to have been the one to to you know drop the proverbial book on them. And we're really glad that you uh, published that on the Electronic Intifada. And of course, as I said, we're going to link to both of uh, Stephanie's pieces, the, the research she did, the 36-page report, as well as uh, her piece um, outlining the report and, um, and giving it a little bit more analysis. Um, so yeah. Stephanie Thank Scora, you, so you are a organizer, activist, writer, researcher based in Chicago. Uh, thank you so much for being with us again on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. 
Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.